How did you kids already get up there? Thank you for being present today. So how many kids do I see today? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people sitting on the front pew or one sitting on the floor. He can sit on the floor if he likes to. That's okay. I know someone else who likes to sit on the floor. It's perfectly fine. I would sit on the floor, but then I would have a hard time getting back up. So I used to sleep on the floor all the time. I loved sleeping on the floor because it was comfortable comfortable when I was young. But now that I'm older, it's not comfortable anymore. So it's hard to sleep on the floor. Is that what you said? Yeah. Some people like it and some people don't. That would be cool. That is cool. It's just sleeping on the floor on a blanket. Well, I want to ask you guys a question. We just talked for a few minutes as we were getting ready to pray about what we were thankful for. Do you know what this week is? What what special holiday is this week? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Exactly. So what do we do on Thanksgiving? We eat turkey. And we eat pie and we gather together with people that we care about. And yes? Play what? Oh, the thankful game. Okay. I've never heard the thankful game before. You'll need to teach me that after church, maybe. That would be cool. I also know that somebody had a birthday this week and they just turned eight years old. But they are sitting on the floor. You're eight? He, Mr. Adrian just had a birthday. Can we sing happy birthday to him? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Adrian. Happy birthday to you. Cool. Well, I wanted to talk to you guys about being thankful. You know, in the Bible, we're, to put, we're told over and over and over and over and over again to be thankful. That's what we're told to do. But who are we thankful to? God. God. We're supposed to say, thank you, God. How many of you guys, you know, when, when I was a little kid, when I was a kid and I had like a birthday or even at Christmas time and I would get a gift, you know what my mom would make me do? She would make me fill out a thank you card. Have you ever done that before? Write a thank you card. You would, you just simply write a card and you say, thank you for giving me the present or thank you for taking me out to lunch or whatever they did. And just say, I, I thank you. It's been very, and people don't do that very much anymore. So I wanted to show you a card that I made because I, I wanted to thank God. So I made a card. What does it say? Thank you. And then I just decorated it with some decorations. And then what did I say? Can you read it? Somebody want to read it that can read it? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for loving me. And then I put my name, Bob. So this is a way that you can thank God. Just write him a note. Or you could just pray. But this is a cool way to do it. But you know what? another way that you can thank God? You can do not just thanksgiving. You can do thanks living. Have you ever heard that before? Thanks living? That sounds crazy. How do you live thanks? 
I will read to you out of the Bible how you can live thanks. In the book of Matthew, for those of you who have Bibles and want to read it later on, Matthew chapter 25, this says, Then God will say to his people, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen to this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit with me. And then the, the people of God will say to God, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come and visit you? And God said to them, truly, I say to you, when you did it to one of the least of the people on the earth, you did it to me. When we show kindness or love to someone else, God says he receives that as if it's a gift for, from us to him. That's a way of doing thanks living. So if you want to say thank you to God, you could write him a card. Or you could do something nice for somebody else. But in your mind and in your heart, you're thinking, I'm doing this because I want God to know that I love him. And I want to tell God, thank you for the way he's blessed me. Isn't that cool? That's called thanks living. And you know what the card for me is? I'm going to put it on my dresser so that in the morning when I see it, it will remind me that I want to live a thanks living life this week, all week long, to honor God and to tell him that I love him. Would you guys like to have a card that you could make for this week for you guys to to do? I, if you want to, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you want to, I have some cardstock here. And you guys could make cards that you could have at home to remind you to be thankful and to live a thanks living life. Anybody want a card stock? What color do you want? What color do you want? Pink? Ah. I thought I had opened it far enough. Apparently I have. There you go, sweetie. What color did you want? I'm not going to do it. Okay. What color? Uh, is there red? Uh, that's the closest to red. So can I blue? you can have blue. There you go. I thought you liked yellow. Blue? What color would you like? No? Okay. Green. Green? There you go. Adrian, what color? Orange. That's the closest I got to orange. Go ahead and pull. Adrian, Audrey, did you want? Okay, cool. Well, let me pray with you guys. God, I ask that you would bless these kids. And I ask that you would help them to come to an understanding of what it means to live a life that honors you by the way that we live out in the world, to love you and to thank you for all of your blessings. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys, you can go to class. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I appreciate it. Well...
We are almost done with our study of the book of 1 Samuel. And as I told you guys last week, this week's study is on chapter 29 and 30. The next week is 31, and then we're done. Um, this week, I, I don't know if you take the time to read it, but I want to make sure that we we've had, are familiar with the story. So I'm going to quickly skim through the book of 1 Samuel. Chapter 29 and 30. The Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. The Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. Now, remember last week we talked about the fact that the Philistines were coming and, and Saul was scared. And so he went to the witch at Endor to seek what the future was about. And they, the, she told him that he was going to die in battle and all of his sons were going to die in battle. Well, this is the battle now that's getting ready to take place. So the Philistines have gathered and the Israelites are encamped. And then the lords of the Philistines were passing by, uh, passing on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were passing on in the rear with King Achish. So in other words, there's a parade, basically a parade of soldiers marching in front of the, the reviewing stand, if you will, if you've ever seen a military parade. And so Aphek, the king from Gath, has all of his soldiers and they're marching. Well, remember Back in chapter 27, I think it was, David got made the bodyguard of, of, Ach- of Achish because he felt that David was loyal to him. And so David and his 600, 400 men are, are marching in, in the formation in front of the reviewing stand. And all of a sudden, the commanders turn to Achish and say, who is this? Why do you have a bunch of Jews in your thing? These people are our enemies. That's the ones we're fighting. And Achish says, oh, no, 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 no. He has been faithful. He's lived with me for the the better part of a year and a half now. He has proven himself. He is faithful. I can trust him. And the leaders then say to Achish, isn't this the guy that the people of Israel sang about? Saul has struck down his thousands and David has struck down his ten thousands. And Achish is like, So he calls David to him and he says these words. This is verse six. As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me, it seems right that you should march out with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords, the leaders do not approve of you. So go back now. Go peaceably. That you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. Verse 8. David says to Achish. But what have I done? What have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service. Until this day that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king. And Achish answered David and said. I know. I know that you're blameless in my sight. It's like you're like an angel of God. But nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, ye shall not go up with us in battle. And the reason that they fought against David coming was because the leaders of the thing, if you read it, they said, how do we know that he's not going to try and get back in the good graces with King Saul by turning on us and killing us? I mean, he's been very successful in battle. Yes, we've heard all about this. We heard the songs that they sing. 
He's killed his tens of thousands. Well, what's to say he's not going to bring our heads to Saul? That's why we can't trust him. And so David and his men have to leave. So it says, verse 10 of chapter 29. So then they rose early in the morning with the servants of your... uh, Now, Achish says to him, now rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But then the Philistines went on up to Jezreel. Now, verse one of chapter 30, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. Now, before we go any farther in this story, let me tell you a little bit about a, a little bit about background. So, you, so you'll have it in your head and be able to think about it and we won't have to get distracted with it later on. If you remember back in chapter 27, when David, or 26, whatever it was, when David first went to live with King Achish, I think it was 27, um, it says that he was raiding in the southern parts and that he would bring back spoil and he had killed everybody because he didn't want there to be any witnesses. And then Achish would say to him, so where have you been raiding today? Well, what wasn't said was David was actually bringing spoil back. He was bringing all the, 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 the booty from the, from the war. And so he was carrying it back. Well, some of it he brought to Achish. So Achish was benefiting from all of the raiding that David was doing. So he really wasn't worried too much about what David was doing. Um, and David wasn't telling him that he was actually raiding against the Amalekites. Do you remember the Amalekites? Do you remember the name? Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. Where, da- where King Samuel, excuse me, King Saul was told by Samuel to destroy the Amalekites and then Samuel didn't and some of them got away. Well, David is now fighting against the Amalekites, which who have been the sworn enemies of Israel from the time that they did the Exodus. So David is actually going and, and killing the, the Amalekites, doing what God had originally said, but he's not letting Achish know. He's just saying, oh, I went and raided in the southern part over here. So Achish is going, well, look at all this stuff we're getting. Yeah, cool. But David's actually going out and doing what the word of God says is kill the Amalekites, the enemies. What God had ordered Saul to do and he didn't do. Well, then it says that the Philistines have gathered just outside of this area And then the fight between the leaders and they say, David's got to leave. So David and his men, his 400 men, leave. And it says it took him three days to get back to Ziklag. So he walked, he marched with his men three full days from where that parade ground had been back to their home in Ziklag. Then the the Philistines who had gathered at that parade ground, it says, they went on to where the battle was going to take place. And it was going to be about 30 miles away. So it was another full day north. So literally, there was about a four days worth of travel between where the battle where Saul and his sons died and where Ziklag was, where David was with his went went back with his men. Why is that important? It's not important to everything we're going to say this morning, but it's important so you'll understand 
No one could ever accuse David in the future of having taken part in killing Saul and Jonathan and the other sons of King Saul because he literally was four day journey away. He had an alibi for that battle. No one could ever say to him, you took part in killing Saul and all of his sons so you could have the throne. No, I didn't. I was kicked out. I was told to go home and re- and play with my own crayons. And I had to dr- march three days back to my home while they marched another day on. So there was absolutely no question to David's integrity when it came to him assuming the throne after King Saul. That's not germane to what I want to say to us this morning, but that is part of the history that you need to understand. So God was actually bringing about an alibi for David in a very public way. David had gone with King Achish, marching with the, with the army. He was in the last of the ranks, but he was marching with the army. And then all of a sudden in a public setting, he got singled out and told, go home. God protected Saul, uh, David from any any accusation that he did something wrong. All right. Now let's move on to chapter 30, verse 2. So they get home and they find out that the Amalekites had made a raid against Ziklag and had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive all of the women and all of the children Anyone, whether they were of important or, or, or the least important, they didn't kill any one of them, but they carried them off and they went their way. When David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. They found that their wives and their sons and their daughters uh, had been taken captive. And when then verse four, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Listen to that verse. What is that saying? We heard a prayer this morning about grief. This is the depths, the deepest depths of grief. They didn't have telephones back then. They didn't have internet. They didn't have a a telegraph. They had absolutely no way of communicating with their loved ones. The only thing they knew was that their loved ones weren't laying dead on the ground in the village of Ziklag. They had been carried off. That's all they knew. They didn't know where they had gone. They didn't know who had them. They didn't know what atrocities were being done. And these men were weeping. Literally until there was no strength left in um, in 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 their souls. They were just so broken with their grief. And it says, then David and the people who were, excuse me, then verse, verse five, David's two wives had also been taken. And then verse six, and David greatly was greatly distressed for the people began speaking of stoning him. So these guys who were his faithful army, they are so upset. They start talking about taking David out, blaming him. If we hadn't gone with Achish, we would have been here to defend our families. Because all the people were bitter 
in their soul for their sons and their daughters. But look at what it says at the end of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David had lost his wives too. David was just as emotionally damaged. David was just as emotionally spent. But David was the leader. And he had a responsibility to continue to lead. And so he found his strength in the Lord. Then verse 7. David then calls for the priest. And he says, bring the ephod. So the priest brought the ephod. And David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And the answer came, yes. So David set out with 600 men who were with him. Hold on, Pastor Bob. You have been saying 400 all morning long. Now you're saying in verse 9 that there were 600 men with David. Where did the extra 200 come from? I'll tell you. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. This is an, another author's perspective of the life of David and King Saul. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 verse 1 says, Now these are the men who came to David at Ziklag while he could not move about freely because of Saul, the son of Kish. They were among the mighty men who helped him in war. First Chronicles chapter 12 is a listing of all of the men who gathered around David. And it lists the 400 people, not literally 400 names, but it, it is the 400 people. But if you go down in chapter 12 to verse 19, you read this. Some of the men of the tribe of Manasseh deserted to David when he came with the Philistines for the battle against Saul. Do you hear what this is saying? At the time that David went with King Achish to go march against the armies of God, and do that, that parade thing where the leaders of the Philistines said, no, we can't have him. Part of the army of Saul, 200 strong, left Saul's army, deserted, and followed David and marched back with David to Ziklag. So it was at that parade ground when David was being publicly humiliated and cast out, 200 of more Israel soldiers joined David, and then marched back to Ziklag with him. Now, let me continue to read out of, out of Chronicles. Um, I'm going to start at 19 again. Some of the men of Manasseh deserted to David when he came with the Philistines for the battle against Saul, yet he did not help them. For the rulers of the Philistines took counsel and sent him away, saying, at peril to our own heads, he will desert and turn to his master Saul. Verse 20. As David went to Ziklag, these men of Manasseh deserted to him, and then he names all the names. They helped David against the band of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor and were commanders in the army. For from day to day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army, like an army of God. 
So these were leaders in King Saul's army who deserted and went and joined David and then got kicked out and marched with David back down to the village of Ziklag. Now go back to chapter 30 in 1 Samuel. Chapter 30, verse 9. David set out and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Besor where those who had were left behind stayed. But David pursued. He and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besar. What is that saying? What in the world? Let's explain it. David marches up to a three-day journey up to that parade ground with his guys. Then they have to march six day, three days back. So they've now marched for six solid days. And half of the 400 are physically spent. They are just, I mean, they have marched for six days. They have come home to find out that their families are gone. Their village and home has been completely burned. They've lost everything. They're emotionally spent. They're physically spent. And they are exhausted. Half of the 400 that David had. They can't go on. They just can't. But God had already provided 200 valiant, mighty leaders from the tribe of Manasseh who joined David. And they continued on. So it says in verse 9 of chapter 30, David set out and the 600 men who were with him and they came to the brook Besor. There were those who were left behind stayed, but David pursued and he and the and 400 men because 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook. They had started, they had tried, but they just couldn't do it. And so David released them to go back and to guard what possessions they still had. And in the, in the scriptures, you'll read, they guarded the baggage, if you will. Okay. Verse 11, as David and the 400 now, the 200 that remained out of this original group and the 200 from the family of Manasseh, they find along the way an Egyptian in the open country and they bring him to David and they give him bread and he eats and they gave him water and he drinks and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, finally his spirit was revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? And the man said, I am a young man of Egypt. I'm a servant to an Amalekite and my master left me behind because I felt sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Carathites and against the which belongs to Judah and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, now stop. David now knows he's got the right guy. The guy's not telling stories. He knows all the story. He knows everything. So he knows that this guy was really part of the crew. So verse 19, excuse me, 15. David said to him, will you take me down to this place, to these people? Swear to, and then the guy said, well, swear to me by God that you'll not kill me or deliver me into their hands and I will. And then verse 16. And so when David had taken him down, behold, I mean, when the man had taken David and his crew down, behold, they were spread out. The, the Amalekites were spread out across, across all of the land, eating and drinking and dancing. Because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So this Egyptian that they find in the middle of the desert, 
who is just about dead. They revive him with food and with drink. Then they interview him and they realize that he is an instrument that can help guide them to where their family is. So they say, will you take us there? And he says, only if you promise not to turn me over to them or kill me. And so they say, we promise. And then they move on. And he leads them to the camp. And they finally, they look over the crest and they can see them spread out all over the land. And they're drinking, they're laying on the ground and they're dancing and they're just carousing because they've had a great, great victory and they got away with it. And ain't nobody coming to get them. Why? Because everyone's distracted with a battle in the north four days away. See, the Amalekites took advantage of the fact that Achish and all the other Philistine kings went up four days trip north and that left all of this area undefended. So the Amalekites, who have been a sworn enemy of all of them, the Philistines and the Jews, are have now come in to literally raid and they've just taken everything. And they've got all of the spoil. <laughs> and they're now in their camp and they're just partying. Woo, we did it! <laughs> and then it says... Verse 17, and David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, almost a full 24 hours, and not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted on camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. David rescued his wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great. Sons, daughters, spoil, anything that had been taken. David brought it all back. David also captured all the flocks and the herds and the people drove the livestock before him. And they said, this is David's spoil. Verse 21, then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow, who had been left at the brook Besor, and he went out, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who went with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them, and then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David, because they didn't go with us, we're not going to give them any of the spoil we've recovered, except let each man have his own wife and children, and then they can go. And David said, no, that's not how it's going to work, guys. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the hand that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as, for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who, who stays by the baggage. And they shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So David has this incredible challenge before him. They went, came back, found that their whole village had been destroyed, all of their families taken, all of their stuff taken. He, the people that he's, that's been following him faithfully want to kill him. They're so upset. He turns to God and says, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And God gives him clear instructions to go. Then God helps him to find an Egyptian who's almost dead and then revives to lead them directly to where the camp is. Oh, and I forgot, half of the crew is exhausted and can't go on. Oh, but God already replaced them a couple, three days early. This is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And then look at the last part of this. 
Verse 26, David comes back to Ziklag and he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. For it was for those in Bethel, in Ramoth of the Negev, in Jatir, in Aroer, in Sifmoth, in Ethamoa, in Rakal, in the cities of the Jeremelites, in the cities of the Kenites, in Hormah, in Borashan, in Athik, in Hebron, for all the places where David and his men had roamed. Now, I will have to be honest with you. I have read this chapter multiple times this week. And every time I get to chapter 26 through 29, I'm like, who cares? Who cares? Okay, let's move on. But then I studied and I learned, and it says right here, it's just lost because you get, you, you just shove that aside. The last phrase in verse 31 says, all the places where David and his men had roamed. Think about this. David has been on the run from Saul for years. And hundreds of people have gathered around David. And David has had to lead them from place to place to place, finding places where they can hide and be safe. And he has to provide for them. Well, imagine if you were that guy and you had four or 500 people plus their wives and their children, and they were all taking, going from place to place to place. And you had to go to the leaders of each of these villages and say, is it okay if we bring our 700 people here? We, we promise we won't poop too much. Seriously. He had to do that for years. So what does he do when God blesses him and he has incredible spoil? Not just the stuff that was taken from them, but all of the area that the Amalekites had stolen from. It's all been brought back to David for his care. And David says, no guys, no guys, you take what's yours. And then the rest of this, we're going to bless the people who blessed us. So God gave David what he could have put into his coffers. He could have gone, whoa, I'm rich. But instead, he said, no, these people were kind to us through the last number of years. They have been the ones that God has used to bless us. Now that we have been blessed, we need to bless them. I had lost that for so long. Never read that because I got so trapped. I don't want to read all these names of these cities. This is stupid. Let's move on. So that's this story. Okay. Now, <coughs> there was one other thing that I, because I was praying, Lord, it's a great story. It's a wonderful story. It really is a good story. But what is the thing that I need to give to my people that they can take home with them? And honestly, I was going to cheat and have you raise your hand and say what the Lord's saying to you right now. But God said, no, that's not right. <laughs> I need to share what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is this. If we go back to this beginning of chapter 29, David is faced with an incredible dilemma as a human being. He is an Israelite. Remember we said months ago, weeks ago, he's a person of the land. He is a person who follows the Lord God. And he is a person of the land, the promised land that was given. But he has been forced out by the king. And he's now living for the last year and a half with Achish outside of the land. 
And as a result, and as a means of trying to make sure that his people and his family and everything is safe and okay, he's had to form an alliance with the enemy, Achish. And he's done a good job. Achish loves him. Achish says, you're like an angel of God. I trust you. But he is now being asked, because he's, remember, the bodyguard of, the chief of the bodyguard of Achish. He has been asked by Achish to march with the armies of Achish against the Israelites. Can you imagine what it must have been like for David sleeping the night before they started the march? And it was a three-day march, remember? Now, first he had to get his guys on board. They followed him anywhere. He was their leader. But then they have to parade with their enemy in a public formal Those of you who are in the military, you know what I'm talking about with the parade grounds and all of the pomp and circumstance. And he has to stand in public saying, I'm aligned with my enemy. But he had no choice. What is he? How? But what did God do? This wasn't anything that David did. What did God do? God pulled him out of it. David was walking the path that was before him because he had no choice. But God said, I got this. And out of some crazy argument between a bunch of guys who didn't even care about David, all of a sudden God has provided a way for David to stay out of the fight and provide an alibi so that his integrity remains intact so that he can never be accused of participating in the overthrow of the previous king and his and his, his generations below him. And then he needs an extra 200 guys, but he doesn't know it yet. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, commanders and leaders from King Saul's army defect and join him at the place where the battle was just about to take place. Or not exactly, but you know what I'm saying. Because it's still another day's march. And then they get there and lo and behold, they need... Oh, and I forgot, David does not work out of his own strength or out of his own wisdom or out of his own honor, his own integrity. He literally calls the priest and says, I am at my lowest point. I am basically dead. I have nothing to give anymore. I am destroyed. What am I supposed to do, God? And God gives him a very clear answer. And then he begins the march. And they're going in the general direction, but they really don't know where. They just know somewhere out here we got to just try and find. Can you imagine trying to follow tracks in the sand? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they see this little guy laying in the sand almost dead. And it just turns out to be exactly the one that they needed. And then they finally get to the crest, looking over into the valley, and they see the entire Amalekite army partying, totally distracted. 
And then God gives David the strength and the men of David the strength to fight almost a full 24 hours after having marched for six days. And they get everything back and more. And David in his heart of hearts blesses instead of hoarding. So what do I see here? I can trust God. It doesn't matter how big the problem is. It doesn't matter how overwhelming the situation is. If I try to do it in my own strength, I'm not going to make it. If I reach the point of brokenness to the point where I have nothing left, the answer is cry out to God. And he will answer you. And he will provide for you. And he'll give you more than you could ever imagine so that you can bless others with it. It's amazing. It's amazing. We're not going to actually get to study it because I'm changing directions after next week. So David becomes king, if you don't know that. Eventually he becomes king in a couple more chapters. But we're not going there. You can read it for yourself. But this is an amazing way to end David's part of the story. Trust God. Give thanks to God. Honor God. And God will work all of the details out for you. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise, honor, and glory. And we ask God that you would please, please help us this week to show your love to someone else. But let us do it in a way that is God-led and God-honoring, not for us, not for our own showiness. Let us just do what is right. And Father, when we are at the end of our strength, at the end of our resources, or end of our understanding, I pray that you help us to remind, to remind us of this story where you've got it all. And if we'll just keep our focus on you, you'll take care of everything. You'll work out the supernatural stuff. You'll work out the practical stuff. You'll even bless us beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. We give you praise, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know who's reading. Whoever's reading, come on up.